You're listening to audio from Stapleton Baptist Church. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit stapletonbaptistchurch.org. We pray this message blesses you. Morning, we're kicking off a four-week series called Treasure. Now, a four-week series may sound pretty short after we spent 10 months in the Gospel of John, um, and we're going to be diving into the book of Acts in January. So we're going to get back to walking through a book again pretty soon, but um, a few short series in between. So today we're kicking off a four-week series for this month called Treasure. And in case you're wondering, this is basically a series about money. And maybe just hearing me say that makes you start to feel a little bit uneasy. Like, why are we talking about money in church, especially if you're a guest with us, or maybe this is your first day, you're thinking, oh, great, what did I just walk into? Um, I mean, when it comes to money in the church, maybe your mind goes to uh, some person on TV, a TV preacher telling you, you know, if you send in or write us a $100 check right now, you'll never get sick again, or a prosperity preacher flying out, flying around the world in a private jet, or maybe you just think, hey, my money's my business, and it's as simple as that. Whatever you may be thinking, let me state from the beginning that there is no hidden agenda here. We're not starting a capital campaign, and the budget is doing just fine. You can ask Brandon next time you see him. The budget is doing just fine. And so if this isn't a money grab, then why are we talking about money in church? Well, here's just a few facts to help us see why. The Bible, God's Word, contains about 500 verses addressing prayer and faith, teaching on that about 500 verses. And in comparison to that, there's over 2,300 verses talking about, get, uh, talking about money and possessions. So a pretty significant difference there. We're thinking about Jesus. In Jesus' ministry, he spoke more about the kingdom of God than any other topic. But you know what topic came in second? The one he spoke about the second most was money. Jesus talked more about money than he talked about heaven and hell combined. And about 40% of his parables that Jesus spoke were related to money and possessions in some way. The thing is, from Genesis to Psalms to Isaiah to Matthew to 1 Corinthians to Revelation, you find Scripture clearly and consistently speaking about the topic of money. As important as heaven is, Jesus taught more on money. As important as hell is, Jesus taught more on money. And as Bible-believing Christians, we believe that everything in this book is God's holy word. There's nothing wasted in here. There's nothing extra. And it's what we order our lives around. And it all matters. And we also pay particular attention when we see themes in here that are mentioned over and over again that's supposed to clue us in that it's something important. And so if the Bible talks that much about money and possessions, if it gives it that much attention, then I think it's an area that we should take seriously too as well. And here's the simple truth about this series. And one central truth I want us to take away, and it's that God cares about your money because God cares about your heart. God cares about your money because God cares about your heart. You know, God isn't concerned with meeting a budget in heaven. God doesn't need your money. God is not running low on funds. But to God, our faith and our finances are inseparable. They cannot be separated. 
How we think about money, how we use money reveals a lot about us. It can reveal some good things or it can reveal some very bad things. In fact, the Bible serves up some very clear warnings about how dangerous money can be to our souls. 1 Timothy 3.10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. Or in Matthew 19.24, Jesus says, Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then again in Mark 10.23, he says, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. You hear the seriousness in those verses. Jesus is making it clear that there is a danger that can come from money and possessions that can actually keep a person out of heaven. So when we talk about money, we aren't just talking about some green paper and some, some small metal discs in our pocket. We're not just talking about a number on a bank statement somewhere. We're talking about something that can either be used as a tool to glorifying God or it can become a slave master that draws us away from God. See, God cares deeply about your money because he cares deeply about your heart and how money can affect your heart. It's then no surprise, really, that Scripture talks about this topic so much. And as the pastor of Stapleton Baptist Church, I'm responsible for shepherding you, God's flock, from here to glory. And the Apostle Paul speaks about the responsibility of teachers to teach the whole counsel of God, to not leave anything out. So if God cares how you relate to money, I care how you relate to money. Because in the end, what I care most about as a pastor is your heart and your status with God. There's no hidden agenda. The only agenda is to expose you to the truth of God's word and for all of us to be able to see if we're glorifying God and honoring him with what he's given us. The thing is, this topic is extremely relevant for everyone, no matter what phase of life you find yourself in. We all think about money quite a bit. If you're a teenager here, maybe you're saving up money for the first time, uh, maybe to buy a car or just to have some spending money on the weekend. You can save yourself a lot of pain down the road by establishing a godly mindset towards money right now. Or maybe you're a few years further down the road, you have a, a family, you probably think about money quite a bit more. Always thinking about covering the bills, having to replace something that just broke down. Seems like you're constantly buying more diapers, more clothes, more school supplies, and that's not even to mention trying to think about the future. Or maybe a few years further down the road and you're an empty nester, maybe finding some financial freedom for the first time, but now you want to make good decisions based on the economy and other factors, and you thought you'd have some peace now that you have some more money, but now you just find yourself anxious about losing the money that you now do have. Or maybe you find yourself in the later seasons of life. You're, maybe your incoming years are behind you, but money is still a constant issue because of medical bills, because of grandchildren, and you're thinking about what kind of legacy am I going to leave? The truth is it's impossible to go through any phase of life without money being a pretty significant factor. Our society is built on monetary transactions, so thank God that his word speaks about this topic. So let's go ahead and just read again that passage that James read in Matthew 6, 19. And these are the words of Jesus. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, 
where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus delivers this teaching in the most famous sermon ever given, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And in that sermon, Jesus, he covered a wide variety of topics from from anger to lust to divorce to prayer and fasting and so much more. But what's interesting about the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus is constantly pointing people to the heart condition behind their actions. Jesus doesn't say, just don't murder. He says, don't even hate someone because that hatred is like murdering someone in your heart. He's concerned about the heart. He doesn't say, don't, just don't commit adultery. He says, don't even lust after someone because that lust is like committing adultery in your heart. And then he also talks about fasting and prayer and, and giving. He talks about the heart condition behind those actions. See, Jesus is primarily concerned with the condition of our hearts more than he is the outward actions because the heart will work itself out in actions. And that's true in the passage we read today as well. Jesus is concerned about our treasure because it reveals something about our heart. So let's talk about this treasure. The word treasure is general enough. We could say we treasure many different things, both intangible and tangible. But in the context of this passage, it's referring to treasure that can be literally eaten or stolen or can rust. And so this is obviously referring to physical possessions. This isn't symbolic of anything else. And to Jesus's original audience, they would have been thinking of metal coins. In the ancient world, there was no paper money. Paper bills were not developed until almost 900 years later. So when people thought of money, when Jesus spoke of money, they're literally thinking of some type of metal coinage of some sort. And if one wasn't careful, that metal could rust away, especially in that Mediterranean climate. And that would not be good. There's no replacement there. Do you know the U.S. Department of Treasury has a mutilated currency division? If, you're, if you have some cash that gets partially burnt or water damaged or your dog chews it up, you can actually make a request for it to be replaced. And they actually do around $35 million in replacement money each year. Well, there was no mutilated currency division in the ancient world. And so if that money rusts away, there's no getting it back. It was a real threat to be destroyed. And then the other major form of wealth that Jesus mentions is clothing. Clothing can still distinguish people today, but especially in the ancient world, clothing could greatly differentiate between the classes in ancient society. Colors like purple are associated with royalty because at one time only the rich could afford dyed clothing. You couldn't run down to Walmart and just grab a, a $5 shirt of any color. And so clothing was much more valuable and precious. So malls and other things that could destroy clothing was a real danger, a major threat. And then on top of that, even if you could keep your stuff from being destroyed and you could keep it accounted for, there is always a chance that someone could break in and just take it from you. And so what is Jesus saying with all that? He's saying, don't waste your life focused on storing up things that are just going to be temporarily uh, taken away. Things that are temporary, things that can be destroyed or stolen. 
And even if you manage to keep all your earthly stuff safe and accounted for, guess what? In the end, you can't take it with you when you go anyway. You know, Ecclesiastes is a great source for sobering facts about life. And in Ecclesiastes 5.15, the writer says, As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. You can't take it with you. People often cite the Egyptians as, as people that needed to learn this. They would bury their kings surrounded by all their wealth. Just an incredible amount of gold and jewels and other costly things because they thought that, that their dead, especially their kings, would pass on with all that stuff to the afterlife. But instead, it just sat there for hundreds or thousands of years for an archaeologist to discover one day. Or it rotted away just like the person in the coffin did. See, you can't take anything with you. In other words, this is a bad investment. It's not that earthly treasure is bad, it's just that it won't last. But on the other hand, there is a sort of treasure, treasure, another sort of treasure, treasure in heaven. And this treasure is different because according to Jesus, in heaven, there's no moths, there's no rust, and there are no thieves. So treasure stored up in heaven is perfectly safe and will never fade away. Investing in this kind of treasure is the best investment you could ever make. Many of us probably have made investments over the years. Our economy runs on investments. Usually the stock market is the quickest way we judge the health of our economy. And I had a short, brief time in my life before I was married when I had some extra money to play with and and tried my hand at uh, the stock market. And it's amazing how nerve-wracking that can be. You can go to bed a winner and wake up a loser. It, it can all change overnight. All it takes is one bad report from the government and stocks fall. All it takes is one pandemic to change everything for so many. Even the best earthly investments come with great risk. And even when they do have a payoff in 20, 30, 40 years, you might just have a decade or two left to enjoy it. But there's an investment that comes to fruition 100% of the time, and it will reap dividends for all of eternity, and that's treasure in heaven. I love how the author, Randy Alcorn, he puts it this way. He says, financial planners tell us when it comes to your money, don't just think three months or three years ahead, think 30 years ahead. But Christ, the ultimate investment counselor, takes it further. He says, don't ask uh, how your investment will be paying off in just 30 years, ask how it will be paying off in 30 million years. Invest in the right treasure. But how do we store up treasure in heaven? We store up treasure in heaven by really taking part in anything of eternal value. We do it by investing in the kingdom of God. Anything we give, anything done to serve God's mission is storing up treasure in heaven. When you give to the church, you're storing up treasure in heaven because I guarantee you that we are using that to love God, love people, and make disciples. We're able to love our community through things like the trunk or treat because you're storing up treasure in heaven. It's also when you share your faith with a neighbor or some, someone else. You're storing up treasure in heaven because you're sowing that gospel seed that could reap eternal benefits. When you hear of a family that's in need and you give to meet that need in some way, you're storing up treasure in heaven when you do it out of a love and service to God. There are an endless amount of ways that we can store up treasure in heaven. 
But when we get to verse 21, we realize that Jesus isn't just giving a lesson on investments. What Jesus is really after is the heart. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, the problem isn't the treasure. Jesus doesn't say, don't lay up treasure. The problem is the wrong treasure. And that's because your treasure reveals where your heart is. Are you concerned more with the things of God or the things of this world? Of, co- of course, in most of our minds, we like to say, yeah, we like to think, yeah, I'm, I think I'm most concerned with the things of God. But if someone were to look at your most recent bank statement, what would they guess that you are most concerned about? If a complete stranger looked at your October bank statement, what would they assume you cared the most about? Would they conclude you're someone who obviously cares a lot about food and entertainment? Would they conclude you're someone who cares a lot about having all the latest gadgets and technology? Would they conclude you're someone who is an avid sportsman or have lots of hobbies or you collect a lot of things? Or would they conclude that you're someone whose life is completely centered around the things of God and his kingdom? See, our treasure reveals where our heart is. God cares about your money because he cares about your heart. In Jesus' ministry, there was two men that he had separate encounters with that, that perfectly illustrate this. The first is Zacchaeus. If you grew up in church, you automatically have that song going on through your head right now about Zacchaeus being a wee little man. But the other thing we know about, G- about Zacchaeus is that he was also a very rich man. In fact, he was wealthy because it says he was a chief tax collector. And the, uh, the, the tax system uh, was not liked by people any more back then than it is today. And we understand from the account in Luke 19 that he was very rich because he was also corrupt. In ancient times, the tax collectors worked for the Roman government and were known for taking much more from the people than was necessary. And so they grew fat and rich by, by defrauding people of their money. And Zacchaeus was openly known as a sinner because he took part in this lifestyle. But then everything changed in one day. It all changed when Zacchaeus met Jesus. And after he meets Jesus, this is what it says in Luke 19, 8. Zacchaeus says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus declares back to Zacchaeus that today salvation has come to this house. See, what a response from Zacchaeus. I mean, what could possibly motivate this formerly corrupt tax collector to all of a sudden give away all of his money? And he does two things. First, he gives half of everything he owns to the poor. And that's a complete reversal from absorbing and hoarding everything he could. And then secondly, he also pays back everyone he cheated. But he doesn't just pay him back what he owes him. He pays them back four times as much as he originally stole. And he does it all willingly and joyfully. What could cause that kind of transformation? It's because he found a greater treasure. He found Jesus. And, and when Zacchaeus found Jesus, it completely changed everything and about how he viewed possessions. And it resulted in action. Zacchaeus was previously concerned with storing up treasures on earth. But now he was only concerned with storing up treasure in heaven. What a great encounter with Jesus. But there's another person who met Jesus who parted on very different terms. 
In Mark chapter 10, we have the account of the rich young man or the rich young ruler. There's a young man who he approaches Jesus asking the question, how can I find eternal life? I mean, a great question, and he's coming to the best person to ask that question. The, the young man is obviously concerned with the right things, and, and Jesus tells him to go follow the commandments. Do not steal, do not murder, do not commit adultery, and so on. And the young man tells him, I've followed all these, and I've followed them all since my youth. But then in Mark 10, 21, this is what Jesus says. You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Then it says, disheartened by the saying, the man went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. To me, this is one of the most tragic accounts in all of Jesus' ministry. This is a young man who is morally upright, as morally upright as they come. If this guy was in your church, you'd probably want him teaching Sunday school or leading something. He may even be a deacon, maybe even a pastor. He's what we'd call a good man, a fine man. But with one simple command, Jesus exposes his true treasure. Jesus tells him, go sell everything and give it to the poor. Now, that's not a command that Jesus necessarily gives to everyone, but he does to this young man in order with this simple command to reveal where his heart truly is. It seemed like he was concerned with finding eternal life. But in the end, it was revealed that he was most concerned about earthly treasure. And it says the young man walks away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Remember Zacchaeus, the corrupt tax collector, the sinner? He meets Jesus and joyfully and immediately gives away everything because he found heavenly treasure. But what a stark contrast with this with this good, morally upright young man who walks away from Jesus' summons because his treasure was really on earth. And as I was studying these accounts, I found myself wondering, is, is our church full of Zacchaeuses or full of rich young rulers? Am I more like Zacchaeus or am I more like the rich young man? Do I joyfully live with open hands because I'm investing in treasure in heaven, or am I secretly placing my hope in what this world can give me? Our treasure reveals the condition of our heart. Let me also make it clear that having money, even having lots of money, is not a sinful thing. That's, that's not a bad thing. Nowhere in Scripture are we taught that there's something more virtuous or something holier by living in poverty or with less. The amount on your paycheck has no spiritual value, but it's what you do with that amount that has all the spiritual value. So whether you're making 30000 a year, whether you're making 300000 a year, doesn't matter at all. What matters is what you're doing with it. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy and having nice things. But if you do, here's what the Apostle Paul commands in 1 Timothy 6.17. Paul says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. We can be convinced that, that what we have here, and that's tangible, that that's, that's really living the good life. But Paul would say, no, there's, that's just 
fake. It's, it's fading. It'll all burn up one day, but there's something that is truly life. And maybe you think, well, I'm certainly not a wealthy person, so I'm kind of excused from, from this whole thing. But consider this for a moment. If, if you have a roof over your head, clothes on your back, access to clean drinking water, access to some form of transportation, access to modern medicine, then you are already infinitely wealthier than billions of people around the globe who live in abject poverty. Just having those basic necessities already puts us in the wealthy category, every single one of us in here. And on top of that, you and I live in one of the wealthiest countries in the world in one of the wealthiest time periods in all of human history. We have basic amenities today that, that kings in the ancient world would give a kingdom just to have. King Solomon, for all of his riches and splendor, couldn't flip on a switch and have instant light. He didn't have indoor plumbing. He couldn't push a button and cool the palace down to the perfect temperature. He didn't have a smartphone with instant access to all the information in the world. It's kind of humorous when you start to compare what we have that's just basic to even what the richest didn't have. So you might not feel wealthy, and by maybe some other standards you're not, but I would suggest that by the standard of global wealth and historical wealth, we are some of the richest people to ever walk this planet. So the question is, what are we doing with what we have been given? We'll address that question more specifically next week when we look at the concept of stewardship. But are you living as if this world is all that matters, or are you living as if this world is just temporary? There's a famous poem that maybe you've heard by missionary C.T. Studd, and the constant refrain in the poem is, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. So where is your treasure? You know you better than anybody. So where is your treasure? Ask yourself that sometime today, this week. Where does your treasure reveal that your heart is? My prayer is that you and I could say that we're more like Zacchaeus. I pray that we could respond like him and, and joyfully and willingly give up everything for Jesus. Jesus was his greatest treasure and his actions proved it. He began storing up treasure in heaven. See, God cares about your money because God cares about your heart. So is your heart far from God or is it near to God? Is Jesus your greatest treasure? And perhaps you're here today and you can clearly say no because you've not trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Without Jesus, there is no eternal life. There is no hope for a future heavenly treasure. But when you find Christ, you find the greatest treasure of all. It reorients your life so you can say what the Apostle Paul said when he said, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. To Paul, everything else was just a, a pile of trash with, compared to knowing Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Knowing Christ is the greatest treasure because it, knowing him brings life. And in a moment, we're going to sing one more song and I'll be down front and I would love to receive you there and talk more about trusting in Jesus. Or if you need prayer, I'd love to meet you there as well. But can we all confidently believe and show with our lives that our treasure is in heaven? Would you pray with me?